This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. Amen. Praise God. All right. So <clears throat> this morning we've titled our message, The Nature of God's Grace in Relation to Sin. Now take a moment to just ponder on that and think about that. The nature of God's grace in relation to sin. Now some of you may be thinking, hold on a minute, in relation to sin. So is, does grace allow us to sin? Well, see, that's part of the reason why I want to share what I want to share the truths with you today. Because one of the biggest concerns that people have, specifically Christians, one of the biggest concerns that believers, that Christians have about grace is the fact that if we teach too much grace, then we gain overboard on the one side. They are concerned that, you know, teaching of grace brings about a mindset that makes people think that it's okay to sin because grace has them covered. Or they use grace as a license to sin, as some say. And so <laughs> that's one of the biggest concerns people have. And I believe that we need to address it on a regular basis. And, you know, then there's also the other side of believers who do embrace the grace of God. But then maybe just maybe they are tempted to fall into this uh, temptation, this mindset, this lifestyle eventually, where they think that it's okay to sin, that it's okay to you know, now and then just slip into temptation, give into temptation and sin. And I have actually come across some who think that it's okay to live in willful, continuous sin. And so they do mishandle the grace of God. They do misunderstand the grace of God. And so these are the things that we want to address today. These, this is what I want to share with you today. And this is by no means a rebuke. By no means is it a message with you know, a indirect message, not at all. I'm going to be frank with you. I'm speaking to myself. I'm speaking to all of us here today, but we need to hear these wonderful gospel truths. Amen. Why? Because we want to live in gospel truth. We want to live in the purity of the gospel. We want to live and enjoy the grace of God like God intended for us to enjoy. Isn't that so? Of course we do. And so let's talk about the nature of God's grace in relation to sin. So if we preach too much grace, are we going to preach licentiousness? Are we going to give people a license to sin? And if we embrace grace, is it not going to be so easy to give into sin, to give into temptation? Because, you know, at the end of the day, we think, well, gr grace has me covered. I'm forgiven. So it's all good and it's okay. Is that how we should see the grace of God? Well, that's what we're going to address today. So let's begin by reading from Jude chapter 1. And there's only one chapter in Jude. But Jude, we're going to read verses 3 and 4. And most of our reading today is going to be from the NIV translation. And you'll see why in a moment. <laughs> so Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, as I said, verse 3 and 4. Jude says there, the Apostle Jude, he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend 
for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So what Judy is saying here is, is that I had the intention to write a letter to you. And I was going to address a specific subject with you, which is about our salvation, the salvation that we share in Jesus. He says, but as I took pen and paper or scroll, whatever he is, he definitely didn't have a tablet or a computer or a little texting app or anything like that. He says, as I took pen to write, he says, I sensed in my spirit, and I'm, I'm using my own words, but this is what's happening here. He says, I sensed in my spirit that I needed to write to you rather about contending for the faith. Notice he doesn't say for your faith. He says for the faith. In other words, doctrine. In other words, belief. In other words, teaching. That's what he was talking about. That was once entrusted to us all, he says. So it was entrusted to us. We don't need to change it. We don't need to modify it. God gave it to us as we needed it. He says, but I just have this urge in my spirit that we, I need to remind you to contend for it. In other words, to fight for it, to uh, vigorously defend it is what he's saying. That's what that means. And so that's how he begins this over here. And then it says in verse 4, now he's going to explain why we need to contend for it. He says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now look at that real carefully. He says, the reason why I want you to fight for the faith, to defend the message, to defend grace, to keep it pure, to keep the message pure. He says, because there are certain people who have come into your churches and they begin to mingle and they teach and pervert, he says, the grace of God. So he refers to the message of grace. He's talking about two grace itself specifically, as you can see that. And he says they pervert the grace of God to make it sound like grace gives a people a license or permission to live in sin, to willfully sin. And he says that's what we need to defend against. That's what the issue is. And I'm going to clarify some of those other points that we see over there as well. So <clears throat> one of the things that we see there and it's going to come up on the next screen, is the phrase where he says, let's, where he says there in verse 3, remember he said, I felt compelled. In other words, he had no choice. He just felt he has to do this. He says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. Now watch how the Amplified Translation, it's on the screen there, watch how the Amplified Translation puts that phrase. He says, that you fight strenuously for the defense of the faith. Look at the terms that are being used. I mean, this is someone who is intentionally defending the message, specifically in relation to grace, as we've seen it. Look how the Passion Translation puts it below that. To vigorously defend and contend 
for the beliefs that we cherish. It's interesting in our day and time how there are so many religions with so many differing doctrines, with so many different interpretations of Scripture. Many of them put their own thing in there. Many of them don't study correctly and therefore misteach it. And so, and I'm not saying we've arrived, but I'd like to think that we've at least taken off. Amen. But there's so much confusion out there as far as doctrine goes. And here Jude says, he says, one of the issues you are facing as Christians, as believers in your fellowships, is that there are people who are telling you that grace gives you a license to sin, that it's okay to sin because grace has you covered. And he says, I want you to fight strenuously. When is the last time you fought for something strenuously? Can you think? You know, maybe someone spread rumors about you and said ugly things about you to your co-workers and you got to hear about it. What do you do? You fight strenuously to defend yourself and your reputation, don't you? Or maybe, just maybe, you know, someone did something to one of your kids. They, let's just say where they're in middle school, they're in elementary, and some bully picks on them, some teacher decides to be mean to them. What do you do? You defend them strenuously. Isn't that so? I know with me personally that if someone were to do that, if an educator specifically were to do that to my daughter, I would be in their face wanting an explanation and an apology if they were the ones that caused the offense and the, and the hurt. Isn't that so? So, you know, when we think about these things, we defend our family, we defend um, ourselves, we defend the things that are important to us. And here Jude says, you know, your faith, the faith, he says, the doctrine, the message, which is grace, because we've seen that he said that in the context of grace, he says, the message of grace is what you need to defend because there are some who are trying to pervert it and you need to defend it. Now, it's interesting how in Galatians, Paul the Apostle tells them pretty much the same thing, the Galatian churches, but he tells them that their issue was is people mixing law with grace. And he says to them, you need to defend that and prevent them from perverting the message. And, you know, maybe we'll share about that one time. But yes, specifically, Jude is addressing that very issue. And he says, do it with all you have. Interesting, isn't it? Now, the next phrase that I want to just explain a little bit more and show you from two other different translations here, it's coming up on the next screen, is where he says in verse 4, the first part of verse 4, where certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Now, oftentimes, this is misunderstood and tagged onto predestination. And so what some people, they grab all these different doctrines, you know, where one believes that everyone is predestined and others are, you know, partially predestined, but it comes out at the end and so forth. So let's put that back on the screen. So watch what he says. There. He says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, that does not mean, it's not saying that they were predestined. What it's saying is, is that what would happen to those who pervert gospel truth will face a condemnation that was predetermined long ago. So it's not talking about the individuals themselves, but if they make the choice to do that, then 
that predetermined condemnation is what falls upon them. And you'll see the Amplified and the Passion Translation help us understand and see that because this is how the Amplified puts it. Whose condemnation was predicted long ago. Notice it's talking about the condemnation, not the individuals themselves. The Passion puts it this way. Whose judgment was prophesied in Scripture a long time ago. Again, the focus is on the condemnation, on the judgment. And so this could be anyone. So anyone who chooses to pervert grace and the grace of God and say that it's okay to live immoral lives. It's okay to sin because God, grace has you covered. He's saying they're perverting the true message of grace and there is a predetermined condemnation that fall, will fall upon them because they're doing that. That's what he says. And so the one other specific part that on, on, in that portion that I want to just clarify <laughs> to help us understand where we're going, it's coming up on the screen now, is the phrase where he says, who pervert the grace of our God. And he said that in verse 4, if you recall correctly. He says, who pervert the grace of our God. Now that word pervert, from any dictionary, and this is the definition from the American Oxford Dictionary, it says that this is how pervert is defined. To alter something from its original course, meaning or state to a distortion of corruption of what was first intended. That's what it means to pervert the message. Now the Strong's Concordance, the Biblical Concordance, says that word can also be translated and it means the following. To transfer, to change. So they change the message, they transfer the meaning. So ultimately they are both telling us the same thing. Can you see that? So in essence, what Jude was saying is, you know, I was going to write to you about the salvation we have, but the Spirit of God just moved me and compelled me to rather write to you and speak to you about defending with all you have the purity of the grace of God, of the message of the grace of God. He says, because there are some among you who are really not saved because they're ungodly, as he says, who are coming and saying, this is what grace actually is. It's okay for us to just sin and live in sin. And he says they are perverting the message of grace and there is a predetermined judgment and condemnation that will fall upon them. And that remains to this day to anyone who does that. And you know, you may think, well, I don't know anyone who's doing that. I'm glad, but there are people apparently who do that. I'm aware of some individuals online. I don't follow them. I've looked at them maybe once just to see. And I could see that and I thought, well, let me pray for them. What else can I do? And so, but it's a dangerous thing. But here's the sad thing in all of this. Because there has been one or two individuals who actually did what Jude is warning us about with a message of grace. What the church in general has a tendency to do is to put a label on anyone and everyone who preaches the grace of God and say, well, they all fall into that category. It's sad, isn't it? I mean, how would you like to be stereotyped just because you're part of something or because you have a small part in something that is disconnected, different? Isn't that so? I mean, I know that in our modern times, 
Sometimes I hear people labeling Christians <clears throat> all the same and connecting them to some tragedies that have happened in our nation recently and saying, oh, see, that's what Christians are like. That's what Christians do. Or you have others who stereotype all Christians as being a bunch of legalists, a bunch of hypocrites. And I'd like, <laughs> I'd like to invite them to spend some time with me and hopefully, and you, and hopefully they'll see a different view and change their opinion. But it's not nice to be a stereotype, but I, you can understand why some do. Because in the church, when people have preached grace in the past, and I guess they've come across like it's okay to live in sin, because grace has you covered, they thought, well, this is what, you know, <laughs> we need to caution against. And in actual fact, Jude was actually telling us to fight for the very opposite of that, to keep it pure. In essence, this is what Jude was saying. Do what it takes to defend the gospel of grace we believe and have been entrusted with. Defend it from those who try to change it into something that gives license to immoral living. The very same people who teach this refuse to identify or identify with or affirm the Lord Jesus, <clears throat> and because they don't respect or honor Him, the judgment and condemnation they are bound to face was prophesied long ago. So, <clears throat> the gospel of grace has been under threat, apparently, since the early days of the church, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because that's when the church began. And Jude lived in those early days. And he says, <clears throat> the church has been under this threat even since then. So it's not something new. It's not something that, you know, our generations have come up with. It's something that's been there all along. Because this is how grace could be misunderstood. Because the grace of God is so good. Did you hear what I said? Because the grace of God is so wonderfully awesome and good, it is easy to be misunderstood if it's not understood correctly and in context. And so they were facing it at the time. And what was the threat? <laughs> well, if you think about it in the early days, the early, from the very, very beginning of the church, there were two major threats. One was mixing law and grace, making grace legalistic. And two was making grace seem like a license. That has always been there since the beginning of the early church. And so, it's something that is still going on, something that we still need to be cautious of, and that's the reason why God moved Jude to do as he did in his letter. Amen. So Jude was really warning, uh, or his warning at least, is for us to do all we can to maintain the integrity and the purity of the gospel of grace. Remember, his focus was grace. Why? Because grace is the gospel. Paul himself called it that. Let me show you. Acts 20 verse 24. Watch what he says here. This is now Paul the Apostle. He says, But none of these things move me. He's talking about the trials and tribulations that he went through, the hardships. He says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joys and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, watch what he says next, to testify to the gospel 
of the grace of God. So what did Paul call the gospel? The gospel of the grace of God. So is grace the gospel? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's interesting. And this is why Jude's warning is about maintaining the integrity and the purity of the gospel of grace. Praise God. So grace is the gospel. And that's why grace is and has always been the target. Please tell me you heard that. That's why grace has always been, is, and is the target. Because it is so good and it represents the gospel truth that really and truly evil forces hated. And sadly, some believers have tagged onto that and hated and dislike it. And they will give you all kinds of stereotypes and judgments without even knowing the person, without even hearing the message, just because they are fearful of what they think they've heard and what they think grace is to a degree. Isn't that so? And so we are not just to believe it, but we are to defend it with all our might. Isn't that what Jude said? And never allowing anyone to change or modif modify it into something that it's not, especially a license to sin. This is why from time to time, and often you will hear me say things and make statements and even share a message with you today, uh, like the one today, because we are defending it. We are making sure that we live in the purity of the gospel. Amen. That we are maintaining the integrity and purity of the gospel. Can I hear an amen from somebody there? All right, that was weak, but we'll carry on nonetheless. <laughs> you see, grace should never be used as an excuse to indulge in sin. I need to say that again. Grace should never be used as an excuse to indulge in sin. You see, instead, we should remind ourselves that grace is how God's forgiveness comes. Isn't that so? I mean, were it not for grace, we wouldn't be forgiven. Isn't that so? And then the other thing we need to remind ourselves of is, is that grace is how we are transformed from sinners to saints. Isn't that so? It's how we are justified, how we are made righteous before God, by His grace. So how could grace, the very thing that brings about forgiveness, and grace, the very thing that justifies us and transforms us, how could that now be something that causes us or that allows us or gives us the freedom to sin? Can you see how it's easy to misunderstand? But that's what happens. So let's have a look first, real quick, at how grace is actually how we forgiveness comes to us. Do you believe that you are forgiven? You are forgiven. You are forgiven of all of your sin. Past sin, present sin, future sin. And I know the future part freaks some people out, especially the legalist. It used to freak me out when I was in that world. But... It's a matter of fact. I mean, look at the length of this pulpit over here. Let's just say that this is time. The beginning of time and the end of time. Right? God created time and put us in it. He lives outside of time. And when Jesus at some point came and died for our sin, 
He died for the sin of our entire existence, our entire life. This is why, I mean, Jesus came over here, let's say, and you and I live over here. Well, all of our personal sin was in the future tense comparing to when he died for it. So all of our sin when he died for it was in the future tense. So this whole argument about tense and, you know, past sin and present sin, but not future sin is silly. It makes no sense. Otherwise, why would Jesus do all that if he didn't do it at all? Isn't that so? And so he died and forgave you for all of your sin. You see, and this, these are the parts that freak some people out because they don't have enough confidence and faith in people. They don't believe that people can make good choices, right choices. They don't believe, they don't have faith in humanity at the end of the day. It's sad, but it doesn't change gospel truth. You see, we were forgiven of all of our sin. When we receive salvation in Jesus, we are forgiven of all of our sin. Amen. Otherwise, what's the point of the cross? That's like saying, you know, we're forgiven for past and present, but not future. That's like saying, you know, I need to be crucified and died for my own present sin, uh, future sin at least. It's silly. <laughs> so, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Watch what it says there. In Him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. Watch this. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So how does forgiveness come to you and me? According to the riches of God's grace. And how rich is God's grace? Way richer than any sin we could ever commit, right? You see, this is the reason why people shy because they think, oh no, Oh, no, 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 no. We've got to keep reminding people of their sins. We've got to keep people sin conscious so they can not sin. And little do they realize that that's the very thing that makes someone sin. Isn't that so? I mean, if every single week, every single day, I recorded a voicemail on your phone, I phoned you, you let it go to voicemail because I phoned you at three in the morning or four in the morning. I phoned you and I said, Hi, and I say your name, and I say, today the color is red. Red dots. Just see red dots everywhere. And I put the phone down. The next morning, I do the same thing at the same time. Hi there again. Missed you. I hope you got my message. Today, please think of red dots. Just wonderful. Just see red everywhere. And let's just say that I do that day after day after day. You're probably going to block my number, but if you don't, guess what you're going to be thinking about? Subconsciously, you're going to look out for red, and you're probably going to see some red dot somewhere, and you're going to think about what I said. Why? Because me putting it, bringing it or drawing your attention to it makes you conscious of it. Isn't that so? And so teaching that focuses on not sinning and sin and avoiding sin, and sin, 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 guess what it's going to do to the believer? It's going to make them sin conscious. And guess what they're going to be thinking about most of the time? Sin and sinning. And that's what the law is designed to do. Right? But this is why the wonderful grace of God is there. So we don't have to be sin conscious all the time. We can be forgiven conscious rather. Which would you prefer, right? 
And so it says here that we were forgiven according to the riches of God's grace. Here's another one, Romans 3, verse 24. And all are justified freely, how? By His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So what brings about your justification, which involves your forgiveness? Grace. It came by the grace of God. Can you see that? You see, this is the reason why grace is the target and has always been the target of the religious ones, of the evil ones, and the ones that hate the grace of God for the wrong reasons because they don't understand it. Or they like the control they have over people by keeping them sin conscious. That's why grace is the target. But we are forgiven by grace. So if grace brought about our forgiveness, why would grace bring about the freedom to sin? It's working against itself. <laughs> it makes no sense, right? Now remember, the other thing that I said is, is that grace is how we are transformed from being sinners in fallen Adam to being righteous, holy saints in Jesus, because that's what we are. When you receive salvation, you are justified before God in and through Jesus, not through your merits or performance. If we could achieve, think about this, if we could achieve holiness by ourselves, would we need Jesus? It's because we cannot that we needed Jesus to make us holy. So your holiness is not on the basis of your merit or performance. It's on, it's on the basis of what Jesus has done to make you holy. And that involves the grace of God. This is why grace is the target. Because people, again, hate to hear that message. But it is so sad because it's gospel truth. Amen. Let's have a look at some portions of Scripture here that actually back up that point that grace is how we are transformed from sinners to saints in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, the first part of that verse, watch what it says. But by the grace of God, notice by what? By the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. In other words, grace made him who God needed him to be eventually. See that? So he was transformed from sinner to saint by the grace of God, and his grace toward me was not without effect. In other words, we can reject the grace of God, and it won't have the transforming effect in our lives, because we're too busy picking or nitpicking or misunderstood doctrine. Rather, just receive it and let it transform you. Amen? That's what Paul says right there. Now, another portion that talks to us about that is Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 7. Watch this. He says, I became. In other words, he was transformed and changed at some point. He says, I became a servant of this gospel. Watch what he says next. By the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So how did Paul become a servant? By grace. It was grace that transformed him from one state to another and allowed him to become and enjoy the fullness of who he is in Jesus. Can you see that? Here's another one. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, uh, 11 to 13. Watch this. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to people. See, we can only be saved by grace. 
It teaches us. Now, what is the it referring to? The grace of God. So grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. See, grace doesn't teach you to sin. It teaches you to say no to sin and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you can see once more the transforming power of the grace of God changing us to say no to ungodliness and to live holy, good, godly lives. Amen. So why would anyone think that the grace of God, too much grace is going to lead, it's going to tell people to live in sin. Apparently, they don't understand grace and they're apparently not teaching it like they should. This is why they have such a reservation for it. And Jude said, I just feel like you need to defend it because don't let people pervert it. So it's the ones who say that it's a license to sin are the ones who pervert it. And like I said, there probably are people like that, but that's who we need to defend against. Amen. Acts 9 verse 32. Watch this. Same thing here. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country, that's ministering the Apostle Peter, that he also came down, what, what does it say next? To the saints who dwell in Lydda. Who was he talking about? He was talking about the believers, the Christians in that region. And he calls all of them saints. Why? Because when we receive salvation in Jesus, we are made holy. And that's what a saint is. We are sanctified. Amen. And so <clears throat> that's what we are. That's what the grace of God does to us. Ephesians 1 verse 1. Watch this from the New King James translation again. It says, Paul, <clears throat> an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. What does it say next? To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Once more, he's speaking to the believers in that region, in those churches. So you can see that grace is how we are transformed from sinners to saints. And this is why he calls them saints. Praise God for that. You see, if anything, that's where our focus should be on the grace of God. Not on how, you know, too much grace or too much teaching on grace or I mean, <laughs> there's all kinds of labels out there. It's silly. I mean, whenever I hear those, whenever I see someone speaking against grace or preaching against grace or making statements about the grace of God, I think to myself, they just don't understand. They are where I used to be many years ago because I was at that place. I was one who would defend mixture of law and grace, who would defend legalism, who would basically blatantly reject anyone who even had grace in their title or their message. And, you know, I thought that I would teach grace in a balanced way. And my balance was mixing it with law. How foolish was that? I see it now. But anyway, so if we are forgiven by grace and we are transformed by grace, then how could grace be a license to sin then? It's because it's not. Isn't that so? It is not. I hope what we've seen so far shows you that. You see, this is why Jude tells us to earnestly contend for it, to earnestly defend it, right? 
So now let me switch gears a little bit. Please listen to this next statement real carefully. And I want you to think about this statement. Just kind of chew on it a little bit and see what it says to you. Okay, here it comes. Guaranteed grace should never be an excuse to willfully engage in sin. We are guaranteed the grace of God. Jesus and the finished work of the cross guaranteed us the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, the unmerited blessing of God. In other words, you cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. God gives it to you because he loves you. Imagine that, having all of God's favor and blessing and not having to do anything to earn or deserve it. That's grace. And it's guaranteed to us. But because it's guaranteed to us, it should never be an excuse to willfully engage in sin. Now, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul actually makes that very same point in many places in, in his writings. But in Romans chapter 5, verses 20, all the way through to chapter 6, verse 11, we actually see him making this very point. That guaranteed grace should never be an excuse to willfully engage in sin. And so what I'm going to do to save time and me not having to explain and preach some more than I need to, is we're going to read that whole portion from the Phillips translation, the J.B. Phillips translation. Okay, It's paraphrased, but it's, it's pretty accurate. And you'll get the essence of what he's saying here. So let's go ahead and read that. Watch this, starting with verse 20 of chapter 5. Now we find that the law keeps slipping into the picture to point the vast extent of sin. Because that's what the law does. It shows you just how incapable we are of saving ourselves, how sinful we truly are at the core without Jesus. That's what the law does. So to point to the vast extent of sin, yet though sin is shown to be wide and deep, thank God His grace is wider and deeper still. Look at that. So grace is way greater than the extent of our sin. Praise God for that. Aren't you glad about that? Amen. Then he says, the whole outlook changes because of what he just said. Sin used to be, noticed, notice, used to be, the master of men, of people, and in the end handed them over to death. Now, he says, grace is the ruling factor. Praise God. I like that, don't you? With righteousness as its purpose and its end, the bringing of men to the eternal life of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's pretty powerful. So he's just given us the comparison, if you could ever compare it, of sin and how vast and extensive sin is that is revealed to us by the God's law and how much wider and greater the grace of God is in comparison to that. So what he's saying is the guarantee of grace you have super exceeds any sin you could ever commit. I mean, it's powerful. Wouldn't you agree? So now he goes on in chapter 6, verse 1 to 11. Watch this. Now, <clears throat> what is our response to be? In other words, based on what we've just read and what he just said. Shall we sin to our heart's content and see how far we can exploit the grace of God? 
In other words, what he's saying is, now that you understand and realize just how greater the grace of God is, how are you going to respond? Are you going to now go and sin because grace is just great and it's got you covered? He says, what a ghastly thought. <laughs> we who have died to sin, how could we live in sin a moment longer? Have you forgotten that all of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were by that very action sharing in his death? We were dead and buried with him in baptism, so that just as he was raised from the dead, by that splendid revelation of the Father's power, so we too might rise to life on a new plane all together. Powerful words, isn't it? Then it goes on and it says, <clears throat> If we have, as it were, shared his death, let us rise and live our new lives with him. Let us never forget that our old selves died with him on the cross, that the tyranny of sin over us might be broken. For a dead man can safely be said to be immune to the power of sin. And if we were dead men with him, we can believe that we shall also be men newly alive with him. We can be sure that the risen Christ never dies again. Death's power to touch him is finished. He died because of sin once. He lives to go for God forever. Watch us now. In the same way. Look upon yourselves as dead to the appeal and power of sin, but alive and sensitive to the call of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God for those wonderful and deep words. Amen. Can you see in essence what Paul is doing? He's basically clarifying and making that statement. He's saying guaranteed grace should never be an excuse to willfully engage in sin. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, he said it the long way about, and there's so many powerful truths there, but that's in essence what he's saying. So just because we have the guaranteed, we have the guarantee at least of God's grace, that doesn't mean that we can engage in sin. Isn't that true? Now, you know, while I was preparing this, I was thinking, how can I illustrate that? Because I want to understand it for myself. And you know, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit just gave me this simple illustration. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that's exactly, I mean, I get it. I really got it. And I believe that this will bless you and it'll help you get it more. I know that most of you have already got it. But here it is. Here's an illustration to help explain that very statement. That guaranteed grace should never be an excuse to willfully engage in sin. Here's my illustration. Let's just say that you went to the store and you saw this beautiful refrigerator. Two doors, bottom drawer freezer, uh, water dispenser, ice dispenser, LCD or whatever screen, touch screen, AI built into it. I mean, it literally is the most immaculate most genius piece of equipment as far as refrigerators go that has been made to date. It connects to your Wi-Fi so that you can control it through your phone. You can reduce temperature. You can see what's in it. It has built-in cameras. I mean, this is just the refrigerator of your dreams, 
of anyone's dreams, as a matter of fact. And you know, you spent almost two years saving, saving up because it's so expensive. You spent two years saving up for this refrigerator. So you've made some serious sacrifices to get to that point because you wanted to buy it cash. And so now you're eventually at the place where you can buy it cash. So you go look for the best deal, the best model, the exact color you want, the exact material, the exact texture. And once you've set your heart on it, you buy this expensive new refrigerator. It is delivered to your home. They bring it in. You tell them to be careful. You move things out the way. Maybe, you know, you're so eager that you actually take the door off its hinges so it doesn't even bump your refrigerator or damage it in any way. And then you put the door back in. And so here you are. You put it in position, nice and clean spot. And you put it in, plug it in, all set. And you just feel the satisfaction of this wonderful fulfillment of a dream that you had. <laughs> now, what makes this deal even sweeter and more beautiful is the fact that it comes with a lifetime warranty. Isn't that good? So for the life, for your life, as long as you have this refrigerator and it's yours, you have a warranty, you have a guarantee that if anything ever goes wrong with it, the manufacturer will fix it. If anything fails, the manufacturer will replace it. If the whole thing, for any reason, does something, they will replace the whole exact same thing. So you have a lifetime warranty. Doesn't that sound like a good deal? I mean, doesn't that make you happy? It would certainly would me. So now let me ask you a question. So just because you have a lifetime warranty, does that mean that you shouldn't take care of it now? Just open the door and smash it against the side. Just keep it mess and dirty, never clean it, never treat it, never do any of the self-cleaning services on it. Just, you know, kick it and bump it whenever you feel like it. Just don't take care of it. Would you do that? I mean, come on now. You have a lifetime warranty. <laughs> so don't you think you can just treat it like a punch bag and just mess it up because you have a lifetime warranty? Would you do that? Most of us would take real good care of stuff like that. We take real good care of our vehicles, of our gadgets, our televisions, our devices that we have. Isn't that so? Even though we've been given a lifetime warranty, those things exist today. We still take real good care of them. Why? Because we don't want to take for granted that, number one, that we have a lifetime warranty, and we're glad we have that. But it's because it's just our nature to take care of the things we have. Isn't that so? You see, and in the same way, this is what Paul is saying. This is what God is saying. This is what I'm saying to you today. Guaranteed grace, lifetime, a lifetime guarantee of grace does not mean that it's okay for us to engage in willful sin. Isn't that so? And I mean, that's, the, that's what basically what Jude is saying we need to defend. And that's what Paul just made a whole big point about. Isn't that so? You see, this is the true understanding of the grace of God. You see, much like a lifetime warranty on your new refrigerator doesn't give you an excuse to neglect its care. God's eternal guarantee of grace doesn't provide an excuse for willful sin. Amen.
I mean, that is truth. And I think when people realize that's actually what we preach, that's actually how we view the grace of God, that is how we understand the grace of God, maybe just maybe they won't be so afraid of the grace of God. Praise God that I have the lifetime guarantee, the eternal guarantee, that I am forgiven of all of my sin, past, present, and future. But that lifetime warranty doesn't, that lifetime guarantee certainly doesn't encourage me to go and just be careless about my life because I care about my life. I don't want to mess up my life. I don't want to mess up the life of those around me, right? I mean, I hope that that illustration helps because for a long time I've been trying to find a way to understand that myself. And that's how we need to view it. You see, and this is the point that Jude and Paul make in their letters, praise God. And this is why, and or should I say, that is the nature of the grace of God in relation to sin. Amen. You know, so if ever you come across anyone who's concerned about it, who tells you, well, you know, yeah, these preachers that preach grace, or, you know, too much grace, or greasy grace, or slopey grace, or whatever, agape grace, or whatever they want to call it, just tell them, you know what? My pastor taught a great message on it. I want to encourage you, listen to it. Send them the link. Download it. Give it to them on MP3. Point them to our YouTube channel, wherever, and let them hear it. Because I believe if they have an open heart and they listen to the whole thing, they will see <laughs> that God's grace is wonderful. It is meant to be a blessing to us. Not meant to be something we put on hold or we put on barriers and, you know, we kind of guard. Not at all. Amen. God's grace is wonderful. Let me make another statement as we come to a closing. Anticipated grace is never an excuse for sinning. That's another way we can say that, right? Anticipated grace is never an excuse for sinning. Praise God. You see, and that is how God's grace relates to sin. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.